Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, everybody out there, and welcome to No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain? of unscripted television like never before. With insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, true crime, and much more. From the challenge to botch to love is blind to deadliest catch, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who have made unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime game shows, not just something you watch or you consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Let's get started. Today... My guest is a terrific producer and development executive at one of the most famous established production companies in all of unscripted television. She has executive produced such unscripted series as The Challenge for MTV, Kim Kardashian West, The Justice Project for Oxygen, Ball and the Family for Facebook Watch, Bill Nye Saves the World for Netflix, Flex and Shunnies for OWN, Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club for MTV, and many many more. Please welcome the president of entertainment and development at Butum Murray Productions, Julie Peasy. Julie, thank you for being here. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me. Julie, how are you holding up amidst the global pandemic? Yeah, I feel like we're out of the murkiness in terms of like trying to figure out what to do because the first month was like, oh my God, shut down everything. Yeah. And then trying to like recover from that. That was like the big hurdle. And then we went into like, what can we shoot? What can we shoot remote? And what can we yeah. do here? And now I feel like we're in the next phase where it's like, okay, here are the shows that we can get back up. This is how we're going to do it. And it's at least starting to progress into a place that feels a little bit normal, but like the new normal. Correct. So I hear some good news. And that news that I hear is that Total Bellas was able to shoot and shoot safely. And you guys did a you know, a really had a really good um, finish to the season. Is that true? And I'd love to know how you did it. We did. We, um, it was a very small crew with very conscientious um, producers and, and crew that were really willing to be safe and take all the precautions, um, which involved a ton of protocols and a ton of different versions of testing and um, PPE. But but we were, and um, and it was done successfully, and you know, not without some hurdles. But um, sure. But that show, you know, it's it's airing, and and I think you know we're excited because that is something that we couldn't go back in time. You know, like the, the two women are pregnant, and like that wasn't going to be something we could reshoot later. So we were really grateful that we were able to make it work, and you know, with the support of the network, and again really small crew, really careful, a lot of trust between 
all the people on the show, cast and talent included. The Kardashians was up and running um, really more recently, but they were able to self-shoot. So that show kind of kept going through um, the beginning stages of quarantine. What have you learned so far? And now that, you know, you've done Total Bellas and now you're moving into Kardashians, what have you learned is the key to kind of shooting? And as you said, this kind of new normal, this world where safety is so important. The toughest thing is that, you know, there are things called false positives and you have to take them as seriously as a positive. So, you know, I think there's a lot of strategy around testing crew and cast often. And when you're testing that often, sometimes the tests are not accurate. Um, So we certainly had that challenge um, and it is a challenge. And it it does require like multiple tests um, and you do have to stop down when that happens or you have to pivot because obviously you don't want anything to happen to your cast or crew. All right, let's take a step backwards. Let's talk about your career. You've had a fantastic career. Um, And I always ask my guests, how did they get into this crazy world of unscripted television? Um, And yours has kind of come full circle in terms of getting back to BMP. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this this madness that we call reality television. I mean, I started working in news and documentaries, and then sort of factual started kind of becoming more popular. So I kind of cut my teeth early on at like GRB, doing like D-Tech and Without Warning and Movie Magic. Yeah. Um, and then got um, went for an interview to do Road Rules at Buena Murray. <sighs> yep. And that was like my dream job. Um, I didn't get that job, but they did end up hiring me to do basically the first challenge ever as a okay. segment producer. And to be honest, I fell in love with the genre because yeah, back then, you know, like you, it was like, dream it up, produce it, and then put all of these awesome people through it. And like being able to do that at the time felt like such a gift. Um, but that's really where I fell in love with what is now... I guess the reality genre are unscripted. What season, just curious, what season of the challenge was that? It was technically season two. Good God. Because the first one they did was like a meetup special in like. Right. Yeah. And I I, I wasn't working at the company yet. (sighs) So, but it was Matt Cunett and Rick DeLavera. And we basically took six real world kids and six road rules kids and put them in Winnebago's and then had them travel. And it was a blast. In your wildest imagination, could you have ever imagined being when you were on season two that you would ever be seeing a season 35? Um, isn't it incredible? No, <laughs> I didn't. Except that I would say it was truly the most fun show to work on. Yeah, And if, if the viewers were having as much fun as the cast was, and we all were just watching it, we felt like we did have a little bit of magic in the bottle. Obviously yeah. the show has evolved since then, but the spirit of the show still is the same. We're going to talk about the challenge ad nauseum to get back to kind of where you kind of went. So you got onto the challenge and then the, obviously just like a lot of producers, you kind of built up that, that repertoire um, and then, you know, you eventually, you know, became a showrunner. Can you talk to a little, talk to me a little bit about kind of the developing those skills and then moving into starting your own company? Um, yes. So I, um, I did 
two road rolls and three challenges. And then um, Mary Allison John sat me down and asked me if I wanted to show on the next road rolls. And that was road rolls 10. Um, and it was like, like such an honor, first of all, but also like probably the most exciting time of my life to be able to yeah. do that show, which was really like my heart was in that show. Like Road Rules was a really special show. Um, and, you know, Mary Alice and John were so supportive and there were so many talented people already working on the show. It already had, the bones had already been built and it was really just applying another, you know, a different creativity to it. Um, and I did, I stayed up, you know, Murray for, several years after that and I was um I kind of moved a little bit into development I was still show running like three shows a year and then I would do development on the side um for them and I, I was a VP at the time and I think at some point um Mary Ellis had passed and another wonderful uh producer at Bina Murray Bonnie Bogart had passed and it felt like a time for me to leave um Right. You know, Murray, it was, it was just, uh, you know, it was a very difficult time um, sure. and start PB and J. So yeah. the good news is I was young. I didn't have children yet. And it felt like right. I had the ability to take the risk, you know? Um, yeah. So we kind of jumped and it was a blast to be honest. Before we talk about PB and J for a sec, you were kind of fortunate to be at Buna Murray at a time. I mean, you were working with two of the iconic producers of our genre, John Murray, Mary Ellis Bunum. What was their impact on you as a producer? I have to guess that, you know, you that they taught you so much. What you know, what was that like working with them? I mean, they were everything. And and I don't say that lightly. They were literally like so brilliant. They knew storytelling in a way that was such, was on such a different scale. You know, their combined experience, he had been from documentaries. She had been from soaps, which is so funny because really, when you think of what we call docu-series now, they're docu-soaps. Correct. Um, yeah. But they were super nurturing and they really did teach you um, as you went, you know, and I mean, Mary Ellis used to really look at producers and say like, I think you can run a show, but before you do that, I want you to go do a season and story, or I want you to work on writing. So, you know, she really, um, you know, pushed people to know story first. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, listen, they were really supportive and in a time like where you, they were so accessible. Um, I mean, I couldn't have come up under a better, a better pair, you know? That's yeah. why nobody left because it was like being in their orbit was like a really special place to be. I've I've heard yes that, that I mean and if you I look know, at how the come people... you have never worked at Buna Murray? <laughs> how is I, that I, even possible? I don't know. I You've don't done know. so many shows, and I feel like really in the same world. Like how have yes. you never worked there? I feel like we need to bring know. you over. You, you you do. You've got to adopt me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I um, think so. <laughs> you got to bring me over. I feel like um, we do. I know. So at PB&J, your partner is Patty Ivins. Tell me a little bit about the kind of stress or, or the excitement that goes into starting your own company, because I'm sure that was, a, that was a huge, I'm sure that that was a huge part of your life. It was. And I'm still incredibly proud of PB&J and all the accomplishments that we had with that company. 
um, you know, it was the most exciting time of my life um, to start your own company with your best friend. Like, you know, we came out of the gate with projects and, you know, back in those days, and that sounds like it really ages me, but, you know, <laughs> networks would just call you and say, hey, we have the show we want you to produce. Right. And the idea of development, it was like you develop the projects. Like sometimes it would just be a paragraph. They give you like a paragraph, like we want to do this show. And then you would develop it out as the production company. You know, you do a deal, you develop it out. But like development in and of itself wasn't its own beast. You know, like people didn't have huge development departments. Right. Um, so, you know, out of the gate, Patty and I had tons of projects. And it the stress was really trying to do at all you know right. ultimately we were kind of show running them and running the business and running posts and doing development so i think that that's sort of where the stress comes in sure sure but yeah you know running your own business today and even just you know five years ago with the massive companies that exist now with their you know multi-million dollar development funds Sure. It's really hard to compete as a boutique. You know, you have to have, you have to be constantly in development. And, right. you know, we know, I mean, it is for all the talent in the world and all the great ideas, the X factor is sort of timing and luck. Yeah. And most businesses aren't built on timing and luck. So 2015 comes around and you make the decision to go back to Buna Murray uh, tell me about, was it, was that kind of like coming home and how, how did that come about? John Murray was stepping down. Um, you know, he wanted to really focus on his passion projects and some documentaries. And I had some conversations with Gil and John and it was, you know, such an honor to kind of fill, I mean, I can't fill his shoes, but to basically step into that position, um, creatively. And there's, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have done it. And I mean, because it was Buna Murray, it just was more meaningful. And to be honest, like a lot of the people I had worked with at Buna Murray before I left 10 years earlier, were all still there. So it was almost like coming home, you know, and it was such a huge opportunity um, that, you know, I'm grateful I made the decision. I want to talk about the challenge. All right. Mm -hmm. 35 seasons of a show is incredible and hard to imagine. You just finished season 35, total madness. You got Johnny madness. Bananas and Je yes, to and Johnny Bananas and Jenny West walking away with 500k each. The show received a ton of praise. You got Entertainment Weekly and Variety uh, both doing a great write up on it. I thought it looked fantastic. What made this season so special? I mean, I think every season is special, but, um, but I think that, I mean, there's so much talent on this team. Um, we have, and, and not just on the, our side, cause the Bina Murray side, like, you know, Emer Harkin and Justin Booth and Ninja and Danny Wasco and James Rodriguez, like there's so much talent that's been doing this show for a long time that are always raising the bar. But the other thing is the network is really invested in making it bigger and better and like telling a different story every season. So all of the energy really goes into like, what's this story going to look like? 
And then it was just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of strange timing that we ended up putting them in a bunker and that yes. they were kind of quarantined. I mean, we, that was not even in the realm of possibility when we shot the show. And yet it sort of ended up being this really weird timing. In fact, people have said to me, like, was that, they initially thought when we were running promos that it was a joke that we were right. just pretending that they were like in quarantine, but they kind of were. Um, I love, yeah, I loved that pie, the first episode when they all realized they were going to be in that bunker and, you know, that the theme was going to be that kind of end of the world type thing. It just, their reactions were precious. It was, I mean, even just being in it, it was like a post Soviet war bunker and it yeah. had all these relics from the past. Like it was creepy, but also yeah. really exciting. It was a very cool location. Um, so anyway, I think, you know, we're doing it again, like for this, for 36, it's like, how do we make this feel different? How do we get the audience excited? Um, how do we change it up? Because, you know, we have kids that return season after season and right. it has to be presented differently for them to get excited about it. So with the challenge, I think one of the things that's very unique to it is you do have these characters who come back season after season. How tough is that creatively to keep those characters, those contestants on their toes? Well, I mean, part of it is that we work really hard to bring in, you know, sometimes we call them prospects and they are um, talent from other franchise series that the audience may be familiar with, um, or sometimes just, you know, in, they're in pop culture. Um, yeah. And then for the, you know, for our return vets, it's like, they don't know how these people are going to perform. They might be faster, stronger, smarter. So that. It's like them, even like prospects coming in, it's like our veterans kind of have to suss them out. And I think what was so interesting in the last couple of seasons is obviously CT won and then Johnny won. So like, it really goes to show that, you know, experience can help, but also like you're, they're still competing against someone who's 23, you know, and Johnny who's 40. Um, And it really just goes to show that the games are, are bigger than just strength, you know, that they're more complex. But I think I think our more veteran cast, I think they love the diversity of characters and bringing in new people. I think it keeps it fresh. There's new mm-hmm. people for them to perhaps, you know, have a relationship with. There's m- new allies and certainly enemies that can be created. So without the new prospects, I think it would get old for all of them. Why do you feel like the challenge has been able to maintain the audience over 35 seasons and now even find some new fans? Um, well, first of all, do you know that this, cause we just finished, we just got our final ratings and this show is the highest rated season in seven, in seven cycles, which is pretty incredible yeah. um, for a series that's been on the air, like you said, for 35 seasons. I think there's two parts to this. I think that, um, that, you know, we work very closely with the network and the creative team to really try to amplify it and change it up every year. The other thing is, it's. I think a lot of it is in the casting, and that's what's our refresh of the audience. Yeah. You know, Lauren Zins, who runs casting over at um, at MTV, and certainly our casting team, which is Katie Herrera right now, they are always like figuring out like who who are people following, who are people excited about, like how do we give you know bring a new audience into the challenge yeah. by casting people from different genres whether it's sports or other shows or even documentaries. So I think in part, it's that sort of expertise that comes on both sides that really does allow us to grow the audience um, season after season. 
because there's also this history to it, like a soap opera. And people that are, you know, diehard fans remember the old relationships and how it all played out and how they ended up where they are. And that happens over 30 something seasons. So I think that that is sort of the reason why people keep coming back. How many seasons have you done of the challenge? I did seven before I left Bina Marie. And okay. I think I've done five since I've been back. Okay. So 12, 12 seasons. What do you, what, it, what do you love about the challenge as a producer? I mean, I love the storytelling, but I have to be honest, it's the challenges. I think they're spectacular. And, you know, watching them and sort of the set design and the art design and how big our challenges are. Like, I feel like our show looks like a multi-million dollar show. It does. Um, You know, like the money really hits the screen. And, you know, we go to foreign countries where sometimes our dollar goes further and we really do try to make it look like a movie. Um, And I don't really get to do that on any other show. Like, you never get to do crazy stunts. Um, listen, it's not often and unscripted that you get to do, you get to produce crazy stunts and, um, and that the team, our segment team and our, you know, EPs on that show, like they just blow me away. They're really talented. Is there a moment in your 12 seasons being part of the challenge that sticks out as your, whether it's your favorite moment or like the funniest moment on the challenge, the most ridiculous moment, um, anything that you can pull the curtain back for the audience and kind of, you know, tell them a little bit about what it's like being on set, something you've seen or heard. I'm going to go really far back. I mean, it's okay. the battle of the seasons in Cabo San Lucas. It was right after we had literally went out to set up on location two days before 9-11 happened. Wow. And three days later, we got hit by a hurricane that washed the island out. So we were already disconnected because we were in a foreign country from what was a national catastrophe. But on top of that, there was no electrical no plumbing. You couldn't get cash because none of the ATMs are working because all the bridges were wiped out. So you couldn't get to the airport. We had like cast members stranded in hotels that were flooded. We were wading across rivers with the cast luggage on our heads to try to get them to safety. Like, and nobody knew about it because there was so much going on in our nation that this idea that like a hurricane had wiped out Cabo wasn't even on the radar. Yeah. So we had this group of people over like 80 people that were there, both cast and crew that were literally on an island. And we were like kind of paralyzed. Um, In fact, we we were able to get in touch with because some cell phones were still working. We're able to get back in touch with John and Mary Ellis. And they basically sent a producer. They flew somebody out with a pelican full of water and $10,000 in cash. And then we literally had to like carry that across like a river. Like I think when, when the challenge was in its infancy, like we did everything. Like we were art department. We were, you know, we were production design. We were feeding the cast. 
at one point there was a girl on the cast. Her name was Blue, and I think she was from the Paris season. And okay. she brought her baby with her. So when the hurricane was hitting, we were literally – I had her baby in my arms, and I'm literally running with her baby. Like, oh, my God. I think, like, that sort of stuff would have never happened today because, no. you know, obviously production has evolved so much. But there was a time when you were just kind of putting it together. You know, you had a plan yeah. when you went out on location, but, you know, anything could happen. And because we're an unscripted and our reality is real – Things got in the way. In fact, we ended up doing a toga party. Our eliminations that had been washed away by the hurricane, the cast ended up doing like a toga party. We ended up like rebooting stuff, like changing up challenges. And we ended up with 16 episodes. And wow. the whole hurricane of it all was maybe one and a half. <laughs> it was so wild. Adapt and overcome. Wow. Adapt and overcome. All right. So let's shift to another crazy show. You've got Ball in the family, all right? LeVar Ball, we're talking about big personalities, wild. How did how did you guys, you know, everybody, want, I'm sure it was a very competitive situation to get the balls. How did you guys end up getting LeVar Ball, Lonzo, the whole gang to do a show with you? And um, I, I cannot even imagine. What has it been like dealing with LeVar and the family? Um, well, we got a call from Mina Lefebvre at Facebook that there was something that came through her sports department, um, the Ball family, which, by the way, weren't household names yet. Like, people definitely yeah. had Lonzo on their radar, but, like, you know, LeVar was still, like, just a little bit in the press. Um, mm -hmm. And then Bernaz, Farjim, and myself drove out to his house. We met the entire family, um, and including Alan, who was their manager at the time. And we talked about what a show would look like for Facebook Watch. And um, they were totally down. In fact, LeVar, he is an incredible character. They kind of told us what they needed. And we agreed that we would all shoot a presentation. Um, okay. And that led right up to Lonzo being drafted. So as soon as that happened and we started um, sharing the material with Facebook, they were like, just go. <laughs> and then we brought in, you know, a team and it was yeah. like it we could the truth about that family is we had to really chase them. Like yeah. they were they, things were happening and it was right. like it wasn't it really wasn't produced. Like we were literally chasing stuff that was happening in real time. And, you know, what we love about LeVar is he's unpredictable. And sure. we but we also recognize that we absolutely don't control him. Um, right. So he would just be like, I'm doing a press, I'm doing a press conference outside my house today. And we're like, but we're not there. We're on our way. Don't do it without <laughs> us. You know? Right. Yeah. He, um, yeah. Steve Azell is a showrunner on that. And, um, and he's been with the series the entire run. And it's been, I think we're over almost a hundred episodes. It's really been a great franchise series for us. And now we're kind of at the point where Mello is going to get drafted. So it yeah. sort of comes full circle. It's an interesting series because for you guys, you were probably really excited. Lonzo's a Laker. And, you know, it didn't quite work out, um, you know, and, and you guys really have no control over a lot of the story that happens. Whereas, you know, you and I are both used to some shows where, you know, you try and control the story. You want to control the story. And that one, you really have no control. Now are you we guys no excited? Control. Hope, Yeah, you're hope. Are you hoping LaMelo ends up with any team? Are you hoping, oh, he comes to the Lakers, he's playing with LeBron, you know? I know. It's actually, you know what's really interesting? I'm sure you had this experience, is that we could never sell 
a sports show. Like before the ball and the family came along, like anything in sport, we could just never sell it. And people would be like, oh, it's too male. And like, so (laughs) it was, I love that Facebook took the risk on it. And then what you just realized is, A, first of all, it is a family show, but but men do watch it. And so at the time, we're like younger boys, um, which is a really hard audience to get. Um, We can get into that later. But like, there's like only one, really only one platform that is sort of owning that generation um, in a really big way. What do you think makes the balls so attractive to, you know, to that Facebook watch audience? Like, why do you think people have fallen in love with the balls? Well, I I do think they're a multidimensional family. I mean, LaVar is such a great character. I mean, we obviously don't script him, but like we couldn't, like he is somebody (laughs) like we could never have written how great he is. Um, And then he had, you know, his passion um, for his family and, the fact that you have three young men that are really talented um, yeah. and sort of, I actually think also it was just sort of a multi-generational piece. Like the grandparents are really part of the story and yeah. Tina and being able to sort of see that they were kind of a regular family. And by the way, when we started shooting with them, like their life looked so different to see that evolution of what that kind of fame and money brings in is sure. astounding, you know? Um, I guess some people have seen it with the Kardashians. It feels like a long time ago, but um, you know, that that sort of seeing their journey really unfold um, in such a major way, I think is fascinating. Um, I didn't, I I mean, I think I was surprised how many people were watching. And I think when we, when we talked about the analytics with Facebook early on, it was like equal part men and women and like young people too, which was surprising. It meant that everybody was watching it. Shifting gears, you got to, you know, you guys were able to be a part of the Kim Kardashian West, the Justice Project, um, which was, you know, a big shift in terms of being able to, uh, you know, it's a big social justice project, the two hour special for Oxygen. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you as a producer um, to take this on, probably very different than, oh, I'm developing a... competition show i'm developing a docuseries what was it like to take this project on the work that kim's doing in the social justice space is real so it was really about finding a platform to showcase it and obviously oxygen because they sort of do so much work in this world was it a right. good fit um and you know a lot of it was Kim. I mean, she was sort of vetting, she had, you know, this legal team with her and they were vetting all these cases and trying to figure out like who we should feature and who we could possibly um, get their sentences commune. And what's crazy is three out of four of the cast that were in the show, cast is the wrong word, the three out of the four persons featured ended up getting out of prison. And like, that's incredible. Having real change from a show that I think only Kim, you know, could have made happen is is pretty impressive. What was it like to see Kim in a very different light or in a very different um, mode um, with this type, with this project, as opposed to, you know, being, you know, who she is on on Keeping Up? Most of my experience around Kim was really just on this project because I don't really do anything on Kardashian. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of blown away. I mean, she was super studied on everything. She 
was truly compassionate. Um, she really cares. She cares about this and she studied. So she really understands the legal, um, the legal world around this and, and what she doesn't know. She, you know, asked questions of her team at the time. I mean, she still is, she's going to law school. So I think this is, um, something that she's obviously passionate about, but also wants to learn more so she can be more effective. So we really let her, you know, do the interviews. Like that wasn't something that we told her what to say and do. She was prepared when she met with each person to tell their story and ask those questions. Like that was all her. Maybe just tell me a little bit about when you take your role on, right? How broad is your role at Buna Murray? Because obviously, you know, you go from, like you said, you know, early on you were producing one show and now your role is rather large. How do you manage kind of multiple shows? How do you manage uh, what you do on a, on the day-to-day at this point? That's a really good question. Um, there are, so there are projects that um, we sort of parcel off projects. So projects that existed before I started the company, like Total Bellas and Divas and Kardashians, um, all sort of state the executives that were spearheading it. So although I'm familiar with the, those shows, I'm not like watching cuts and giving notes. I did sure. sort of get back on the challenge in part because it was, I felt like my DNA. Um, and then yeah. all the new shows. So anything new, I'm deeply involved with, with my team. So every time we have a new show, we assign an executive, often the person that helped either create it or shepherd it. And then they sort of run point. And then there's some that I do kind of by myself. Um, but we generally kind of share the load because it's so many shows. The pods a- operate, you know, on their own. Um, we have a scripted pod. We have um, creative pod. We used to have Anthony Anderson pod. So those are sort of operating on their own unless they need help from the development team to create something or develop something or to attach a piece of talent or to figure something out. And then we always, you know, we provide services when needed. I want to ask you about Ms. and Mrs. because... I think, you know, Miz is such a interesting character um, and, you know, having his background, right, with the challenge. Um, yep. He was in the Mexico. How, yeah. he, was, he was with us in Mexico. Right. Uh, how, how exciting is it to see kind of his evolution? I mean, first of all, he's a good guy. Like, I like him so much. He's such a great guy. And we're really fortunate to get to work with him. He is so dedicated to Buna Murray, which we just love. Um, but yeah, he's become everything he wanted to be. Like, talk about somebody who just made their dreams come true or manifested their reality. Mike 100% did that in a way that, like, it's very unusual to have that documented. So from the time he showed up on The Real World as, like, an 18-year-old kid saying that he wanted to be a pro wrestler, like to now and being able to see that yeah. sort of in front of cameras is pretty incredible. Um, and, yeah. and his show is really successful. Like the Miz and Reese is so funny. This season coming up is going to be so funny. Um, we're shooting that show right now too. And that's um, spearheaded by Russell J and it is, they are just game for anything. And then we also have like this other project in development with them, um, with him and Maurice. Um, but it is funny that that comes full circle and, and we've really, yeah. you know, really benefited from the collaboration. All right. Now, in terms of what's coming up for you, what type of shows people can be looking out for? What do we have on tap in the next 
uh, in the near future for the audience to be looking out for from Buna Murray? All right. So, you know, there's like this gap in between what has sold, but I can't tell you about because I didn't, I'm not supposed to announce it and stuff that's on the air and stuff that's in development. So stuff that's coming out right now or very soon is road tripping um, okay. with Ricky and Desi for Snapchat. Emily's okay. Wonder Lab on Netflix for kids. Uh, Childhood, nice. which is a documentary for HBO. That's really, really good. And then projects that we're not, that haven't sold, that we're getting ready to pitch. We're definitely playing in some more like big competition formats. We have a show called Buddy Games with Josh Jamel based on his real life buddy games that he does, <laughs> um, which we're really excited about. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a lot of comedy. And I think right yes. now, I feel like comedy is sort of everyone needs something to laugh at right now. So it's, it's going to be a really fun challenge. Um, yeah. And then we, we do have a project with the, with um, the cast of the bold and the beautiful, which we're excited about. Ooh, okay. I know. That's and interesting. We have a show with Guinness world book and Anthony Anderson. So we're working he's on great. that. So we have yeah, some really fun stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, we've actually, it's been interesting because COVID, like during this sort of quarantine time, we've definitely been able to do more building and writing and, um, you know, sort of developing just because we're not running around, you know, three hours in the car to go to a pitch or to a lunch. Sure. So in this really strange way, we're actually able to be more creative and get more done. I always end my episodes with um, what to watch. I always ask my guests, like, what to watch, what you're watching right now what we should watch. And so you already said you got three shows coming up. And so the audience should definitely check those three out. Is there anything you're watching now that like you think is great that you're binging or um, that, that you, that you really are enjoying? I feel like I've watched so much. Like, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I seriously, I feel like I've run out of things to watch. Like uh -oh, every time yeah. somebody tells me about a new, pro like a new show, I'm so thirsty to watch yeah. something fresh. I feel like I did really finish Netflix. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm watching Killing Eve. I literally went back and watched like the rest of Younger. Like I'm working on yeah. stuff that's kind of old now because I feel like I watched everything. <laughs> what are you watching right now? I'm halfway through. I'll be gone in the dark. Um, it's the six-part doc series on the Golden State Killer. Um, Liz Garbus so um, directs. It's for HBO. It's phenomenal. Is it it's, really good? I do watch a lot of crime. It's incredible. Um, and it's not your typical true crime series because I don't know what you know about that. Patton Oswald's wife um, wrote this book on the Golden State Killer. And so, and then she's since passed. And so it really follows a lot of her story and the book oh. and how she wrote the book. Yeah, and Patton's in it. And so it's it's really a story as much about that book and about um, his wife, you know, and her kind of obsession with um, the killer as well as kind of it really goes in depth in terms of the people who he terrorized. And, you know, it, it's way different than, you know, your typical kind of each episode is a different you know, story about a yeah. killer, that sort of thing. Do you, so I'm, like, do you yeah. find that you watch more scripted or unscripted during COVID? During COVID. So I'm a big doc guy. So I definitely yeah, have, too. have, yeah, I have definitely been watching a lot of docs, but script, the thing about scripted is that it has, COVID has allowed me to catch up 
on a lot of scripted. So right. people, yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. I've watched five seasons of Billions. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I watched so, Succession. I was dying to see that. I watched yeah. it finally. Yeah, It's like, so, I feel like yeah. those are the shows that people tell you about that you never have time to watch. And now you're just like, yeah, I'll watch that. That is exactly true. People, you know, I had friends telling me for a long time, oh, you'll love Billions. And I was like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then finally I was like, well, <laughs> no better time. And so there, before right. I knew it, five seasons, done. So, yes. You know, we are everything. working on um, right now it, through our docs team, Sasha Alpert, is um, the Vallow murder case um, with okay. Ian, who is a local reporter. Um we just started working on that and that's like some serious, that is like serious tragic story. So we have Peacock. We had Quibi that launched in April and then followed by HBO Max in May. Um, you know, you obviously you already have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Uh, you guys have are in business with Facebook Watch. Tell me, you know, you and I are both, you know, we, we are old school and we come from, you know, back in the day when it was cable and network and life is changing. How are you, you know, how are you and your team at Buna Murray adjusting to this kind of wild, really it's the new wild west of content. Right. I mean, there's so much more opportunity now. We're like delighted, um, especially because a lot of these new platforms are really general audience. So it's not so specific. So I mean, we've certainly gotten to the point, and I know you've had this experience where you develop something and it doesn't fit in any of the cable buckets yeah. because it's not finite enough. So having some of these new um, buyers that are looking for everything and that are looking for things that could appeal to a lot of different audiences um, is actually great for us because we have you know more opportunities to sell a show. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go because I know you are uh, extremely busy and um, I appreciate, I appreciate you giving me uh, some time. This was great. I've enjoyed you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Julie. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. And thanks everybody for listening to another edition of No Script, No Problem. For everybody out there, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, download, and rate the show with five stars. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. You can also write a question if you have one so I can answer it on the show. Email your questions to no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the amazing audio connection. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.